Ahlan Vasalan, and welcome to a refreshingly raw episode of Folksy, the podcast where we explore the world through the lens of folk literature. I'm your host with a rap boast, Iser. If you've been following the progression, you know what's coming in this episode from the once beautiful and now politically embroiled region of the Middle East. Yep, this week's tale comes from the Arabian Nights Entertainments. Andrew Lang's edited and translated 1898 version of the world-famous 1001 Nights. For our Indian listeners, you might even be familiar with the old made-for-TV version titled Alif Leila. These stories are legends in their own right, and even if you've not heard of the collection itself, you've definitely heard of some of the more popular tales: Aladdin's Lamp, Sinbad the Sailor, Ali Baba and the Forty Thieves. <laughs> The funny part here though is that even though these particular three tales are now included in the canon of the Arabian Nights, they were actually added by European translators much much later. These tales are especially tricky to handle from a storytelling point of view by the way, seeing as each consecutive story is nested inside of the previous one. So, we'll probably end up doing at least two of these just to give you guys a taste of how this goes. Mr Lang is particularly clever in his descriptions of the origin stories of his collections so I'll just let him take over from here The stories in the fairy books have generally been such as old women in country places tell to their grandchildren nobody knows how old they are or who told them first the children of Ham Shem and Japhet may have listened to them in the ark on wet days Hector's little boy may have heard them in Troy town for it is certain that Homer knew them and that some of them were written down in Egypt about the time of Moses People in different countries tell them differently but they are always the same stories really whether among little zulus at the cape or little eskimo near the north pole the changes are only in matters of manners and customs such as wearing clothes or not meeting lions who talk in the warm countries or talking bears in the cold countries there are plenty of kings and queens in the fairy tales just because long ago there were plenty of kings in the country a gentleman who would be a squire now was a kind of king in scotland in very old times and the same in other places these old stories never forgotten were taken down in writing in different ages but mostly in this century in all sorts of languages these ancient stories are the contents of the fairy books now the arabian nights some of which but not nearly all are given in this volume are only fairy tales of the east the people of asia arabia and persia told them in their own way not for children but for grown up people there were no novels then nor any printed books of course but there were people whose profession it was to amuse men and women by telling tales they dressed the fairy stories up and made the characters good mohammedans living in baghdad or india the events were often supposed to happen in the reign of the great caliph or ruler of the faithful harun al rashid who lived in baghdad in 786 to 808 ad The vizier who accompanies the caliph was also a real person of the great family of the Barmecides. He was put to death by the caliph in a very cruel way. Nobody ever knew why. 
The stories must have been told in their present shape a good long while after the caliph died, when nobody knew very exactly what had really happened. At last, some storyteller thought of writing down the tales and fixing them into a kind of framework, as if they had all been narrated to a cruel sultan by his wife. Probably the tales were written down about the time when Edward I was fighting Robert Bruce. But changes were made in them at different times, and a great deal that is very dull and stupid was put in, and plenty of verses. Neither the verses nor the dull pieces are given in this book. Now that we're all primed and raring to go, let's dive right into the action. The Arabian Nights In the chronicles of the ancient dynasty of the Sassanidae, who reigned for about 400 years from Persia to the borders of China, beyond the great river Ganges itself, we read the praises of one of the kings of this race who was said to be the best monarch of his time. His subjects loved him and his neighbors feared him and when he died, he left his kingdom in a more prosperous and powerful condition than any king had done before him. The two sons who survived him loved each other tenderly and it was a great grief to the elder Shariar that the laws of the empire forbade him to share his dominions with his brother Shah Zaman. Indeed, after ten years, during which this state of things had not ceased to trouble him, Shahriyar cut off the country of Great Tartary from the Persian Empire and made his brother king. Now, the Sultan Shahriyar had a wife whom he loved more than all the world and his greatest happiness was to surround her with splendor and to give her the finest dresses and the most beautiful jewels. It was therefore with the deepest shame and sorrow that he accidentally discovered, after several years, that she had deceived him completely, and her whole conduct turned out to have been so bad that he felt himself obliged to carry out the law of the land and order the Grand Vizier to put her to death. The blow was so heavy that his mind almost gave way and he declared that he was quite sure that at bottom all women were as wicked as the Sultana if you could only find them out and that the fewer the world contained the better. So every evening he married a fresh wife and had her strangled the following morning before the Grand Vizier whose duty it was to provide these unhappy brides for the Sultan. The poor man fulfilled his task with reluctance, but there was no escape, and every day saw a girl married and a wife dead. This behavior caused the greatest horror in the town, where nothing was heard but cries and lamentations. In one house was a father weeping for the loss of his daughter, in another perhaps a mother trembling for the fate of her child. And instead of the blessings that had formerly been heaped on the Sultan's head, the air was now full of curses. The Grand Vizier himself was the father of two daughters, of whom the elder was called Shehrazad, and the younger Dinarzad. 
Dinarzad had no particular gifts to distinguish her from other girls. But her sister was clever and courageous in the highest degree. Her father had given her the best masters in philosophy, medicine, history and the fine arts. And besides all this, her beauty excelled that of any girl in the kingdom of Persia. One day, when the Grand Vizier was talking to his eldest daughter, who was his delight and pride, Shahrazad said to him, Father, I have a favor to ask of you. Will you grant it to me? I can refuse you nothing, replied he. That is just and reasonable. Then listen, said Shahrazad. I am determined to stop this barbarous practice of the sultans and to deliver the girls and mothers from the awful fate that hangs over them. It would be an excellent thing to do, returned the Grand Vizier. But how do you propose to accomplish it? My father, answered Shahrazad, it is you who have to provide the Sultan daily with a fresh wife. And I implore you, by all the affection you bear me, to allow the honor to fall upon me. Have you lost your senses? cried the Grand Vizier, starting back in horror. What has put such a thing into your head? You ought to know by this time what it means to be the Sultan's bride. Yes, my father, I know it well, replied she, and I am not afraid to think of it. If I fail, my death will be a glorious one, and if I succeed, I shall have done a great service to my country. It is of no use, said the Grand Vizier. I shall never consent. If the Sultan was to order me to plunge a dagger in your heart, I should have to obey. What a task for a father! Ah, if you do not fear death, fear at least the anguish you would cause me. Once again, my father, said Shahrazad, will you grant me what I ask? What? Are you still so obstinate? exclaimed the Grand Vizier. Why are you so resolved upon your own ruin? But the maiden absolutely refused to attend to her father's words. And at length, in despair, the Grand Vizier was obliged to give way and went sadly to the palace to tell the Sultan that the following evening he would bring him Shahrazad. The Sultan received this news with the greatest astonishment. How have you made up your mind, he asked, to sacrifice your own daughter to me? Sire, answered the Grand Vizier, it is her own wish. Even the sad fate that awaits her could not hold her back. Let there be no mistake, Vizier, said the Sultan. Remember, you will have to take her life yourself. If you refuse... I swear that your head shall pay forfeit. Sire, returned the vizier, whatever the cost, I will obey you. Though a father, I am also your subject. So the sultan told the grand vizier he might bring his daughter as soon as he liked. The vizier took back this news to Shahrazad, who received it as if it had been the most pleasant thing in the world. She thanked her father warmly for yielding to her wishes and seeing him still bowed down with grief, told him that she hoped he would never repent having allowed her to marry the Sultan. Then she went to prepare herself for the marriage 
and begged that her sister Dinarzad should be sent for her to speak to her. When they were alone, Shahrazad addressed her thus: "My dear sister, I want your help in a very important affair. My father is going to take me to the palace to celebrate my marriage with the Sultan. When his highness receives me, I shall beg him as a last favor to let you sleep in our chamber." so that i may have your company during the last night i am alive if as i hope he grants me my wish be sure that you wake me an hour before the dawn and speak to me in these words my sister if you are not asleep i beg you before the sun rises to tell me one of your charming stories then i shall begin and i hope by this means to deliver the people from the terror that reigns over them Dinarzad replied that she would do with pleasure what her sister wished. When the usual hour arrived, the Grand Vizier conducted Shahrazad to the palace and left her alone with the Sultan, who bade her raise her veil and was amazed at her beauty. But seeing her eyes full of tears, he asked what was the matter. "Sire," replied Shahrazad, "I have a sister who loves me as tenderly as I love her." Grant me the favor of allowing her to sleep this night in the same room as it is the last we shall be together. Shahriyar consented to Shahrazad's petition and Dinarzad was sent for. An hour before daybreak, Dinarzad awoke and exclaimed as she had promised, "My dear sister, if you are not asleep, tell me, I pray you, before the sun rises, one of your charming stories." It is the last time that I shall have the pleasure of hearing you. Shahrazad did not answer her sister but turned to the sultan. Will your highness permit me to do as my sister asks? said she. Willingly, he answered. So Shahrazad began. The story of the merchant and the genius. Sire There was once upon a time a merchant who possessed great wealth in land and merchandise as well as in ready money. He was obliged from time to time to take journeys to arrange his affairs. One day, having to go a long way from home, he mounted his horse, taking with him a small wallet in which he had put a few biscuits and dates because he had to pass through the desert where no food was to be got. He arrived without any mishap and having finished his business set out on his return on the fourth day of his journey the heat of the sun being very great he turned out of his road to rest under some trees he found at the foot of a large walnut tree a fountain of clear and running water he dismounted fastened his horse to a branch of the tree and sat by the fountain after having taken from his wallet some of his dates and biscuits when he had finished this frugal meal he washed his face and hands in the fountain when he was thus employed he saw an enormous genius white with rage coming toward him with a scimitar in his hand arise he cried in a terrible voice and let me kill you as you have killed my son As he uttered these words he gave a frightful yell the merchant quite as much terrified at the hideous face of the monster as at his words 
answered him tremblingly, Alas, good sir, what can I have done to you to deserve death? I shall kill you, repeated the genius, as you have killed my son. But, said the merchant, how can I have killed your son? I do not know him, and I have never even seen him. When you arrived here, did you not sit down on the ground? asked the genius. And did you not take some dates from your wallet? And whilst eating them, did you not throw the stones about? Yes, said the merchant. I certainly did so. Then, said the genius, I tell you, you have killed my son. For whilst you were throwing about the stones, my son passed by and one of them struck him in the eye and killed him. So I shall kill you. Ah, sir, forgive me, cried the merchant. I will have no mercy on you, answered the genius. But I killed your son quite unintentionally, so I implore you to spare my life. No, said the genius, I shall kill you as you killed my son. And so saying, he seized the merchant by the arm, threw him on the ground and lifted his saber to cut off his head. The merchant, protesting his innocence, bewailed his wife and children and tried pitifully to avert his fate. The genius, with his raised scimitar, waited till he had finished, but was not in the least touched. Shahrazad, at this point, seeing that it was day and knowing that the Sultan always rose very early to attend the council, stopped speaking. Indeed, sister, said Dinarzad, this is a wonderful story. The rest is still more wonderful, replied Shahrazad, and you would say so if the Sultan would allow me to live another day and would give me leave to tell it to you the next night. Shahriyar, who had been listening to Shahrazad with pleasure, said to himself, I will wait till tomorrow. I can always have her killed when I have heard the end of her story. All this time, the Grand Vizier was in a terrible state of anxiety. But he was much delighted when he saw the Sultan enter the council chamber without giving the terrible command that he was expecting. The next morning, before the day broke, Dinarzad said to her sister, Dear sister, if you are awake, I pray you to go on with your story. The Sultan did not wait for Shahrazad to ask his leave. Finish, said he, the story of the genius and the merchant. I am curious to hear the end. So Shahrazad went on with the story. This happened every morning. The Sultana told the story, and the Sultan let her live to finish it. When the merchant saw that the genius was determined to cut off his head, he said, One word more, I entreat you. Grant me a little delay, just a short time to go home and bid my wife and children farewell, and to make my will. When I have done this, I will come back here, and you shall kill me. But, said the genius, if I grant you the delay you ask, I am afraid that you will not come back. I give you my word of honor, answered the merchant, that I will come back without fail. How long do you require? asked the genius. I ask you for a year's grace, replied the merchant. I promise you that tomorrow twelve month, 
I shall be waiting under these trees to give myself up to you. On this, the genius left him near the fountain and disappeared. The merchant, having recovered from his fright, mounted his horse and went on his road. When he arrived home, his wife and children received him with the greatest joy. But instead of embracing them, he began to weep so bitterly that they soon guessed that something terrible was the matter. Tell us, I pray you, said his wife, what has happened? Alas, answered her husband, I have only a year to live. Then he told them what had passed between him and the genius and how he had given his word to return at the end of a year to be killed. When they heard the sad news, they were in despair and wept much. The next day, the merchant began to settle his affairs and first of all to pay his debts. He gave presents to his friends and large alms to the poor. He set his slaves at liberty and provided for his wife and children. The year soon passed and he was obliged to depart. When he tried to say goodbye, he was quite overcome with grief and with difficulty tore himself away. At length, he reached the place where he had first seen the genius, on the very day that he had appointed. He dismounted and sat down at the edge of the fountain, where he awaited the genius in terrible suspense. Whilst he was thus waiting, an old man leading a hind came towards him. They greeted one another, and then the old man said to him, May I ask, brother, what brought you to this desert place where there are so many evil genie about? To see these beautiful trees, one would imagine it was inhabited, but it is a dangerous place to stop long in. The merchant told the old man why he was obliged to come there. He listened in astonishment. This is a most marvelous affair. I should like to be a witness of your interview with the genius. So saying, he sat down by the merchant. While they were talking, another old man came up, followed by two black dogs. He greeted them and asked what they were doing in this place. The old man who was leading the hind told him the adventure of the merchant and the genius. The second old man had not sooner heard the story that he too decided to stay there to see what would happen. He sat down by the others and was talking when a third old man arrived. He asked why the merchant who was with them looked so sad. They told him the story and he also resolved to see what would pass between the genius and the merchant. So waited with the rest. They soon saw in the distance a thick smoke like a cloud of dust. The smoke came nearer and nearer and then all at once it vanished and they saw the genius who, without speaking to them, approached the merchant, sword in hand and taking him by the arm said, Get up and let me kill you as you have killed my son. The merchant and the three old men began to weep and groan. Then the old man leading the hind threw himself at the monster's feet and said, O prince of the genie, I beg of you to stay your fury and listen to me. I am going to tell you my story and that of the hind I have with me. And if you find it more marvelous than that of the merchant whom you are about to kill, 
I hope that you will do away with the third part of his punishment. The genius considered some time and then he said, Very well, I agree to this. And that was today's tale. A couple of details that we might have skipped over at the start. The word genius has basically been used to replace the word genie uh, because the multiple of genie is still genie. It is spelled as G-E-N-I-I, -I, which is also how the multiple of genius is spelled. I believe that's where the confusion comes from. Like I've mentioned in previous episodes, uh, the texts that we peruse in the podcast come from the Gutenberg library, which is maintained by volunteers. And sometimes little mistakes like these do tend to slip through. Also, also uh, you may have noticed the nesting of the stories. And that is exactly the pattern that continues in each of the consecutive stories that we would have encountered in this collection. Now that we're more familiar with Mr. Andrew Lang's work, considering that this is the second consecutive story from his pen that we're exploding here, there is a distinctive flavor that can be discerned. By the way, if you missed it, you can check out last week's episode where we read Tales of King Arthur and the Round Table. Talking about episodes, let's start with teasing next week's offering, shall we? Here's what you can look forward to next week on Folksy. You know him as the author of the tale of a man cub raised by wolves. But he has also written about the man cub raised in man-made jungles. Are you ready to leave behind all your preconceptions? For the finest story in the world? Yep, one hell of a journey awaits us next week, same time in another brand new episode of Folksy. So, don't forget to join us right here. This is your host with the rap boast, Iser, signing off. <laughs>